Hello, I'm Janus. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Here we are with episode 12. Thank you all for joining us this week. Listener Melissa says, I was just talking to some friends this weekend about how much I love your podcast. We love to hear things like this. It really makes our week. Thank you, Melissa, for helping to spread the word. And speaking of word, let's start this week's episode with Tessa. What delightful wordiness will you share with us this time? (laughs) Well, I hope it's delightful. Um, This week, my new favorite word came up in the process of planning meals. It's always surprising where words show up. Surprising indeed, yeah. Well, one of the breakfasts that everybody around here enjoys is crepes. And we had a little discussion in our family about the word crepe. Of course, we know it's French. And how would you pronounce it in French, Jameis? Crepe. There we go. That's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) But we wondered, does it mean anything besides the obvious flat pancakes of deliciousness designed to be filled and drizzled with tasty goodness? That's the only meaning I'm aware of. (laughs) Well, looking at the word itself, um, when written in French, the first E has a little accent mark over it, a diacritic known as a circumflex. looks like a little hat, basically. Um, and as Jameis taught me as he was learning French, is that this often indicates the historical presence of an S in the word. So it would originally have been C-R-E-S-P-E. And so that made me wonder immediately if it could be related to the word crisp. And the short answer to that is yes. <laughs> but of course, there's a long answer. <laughs> say that's, that's the end. Next word. Okay. <laughs> Well, the longer answer is that both crepe and crisp come from the same Latin word, crispus, meaning curled or wrinkled, which is a little surprising. Yeah, interesting to hear how the meaning evolved from that. Yeah. So the word crisp itself originally meant only curly, crimped, or wavy until about the 1500s. Hmm. So I don't know... You've heard of like a crisping pin is like a name for a curling yeah. iron. Yeah. yeah. To crisp the hair. It was to curl it. And in the 1500s, it started to take on the, the meaning of brittle that we associate with it today. So something that's crispy. Um, but that it's not really an obvious connection about why mm-hmm. that jump happened. So that's it's kind of... A, so you're going to leave me hanging. A right? linguistic unknown. Yeah, sometimes we don't know all the answers. That part is a little uncertain. But ultimately, both of these words, crisp and crepe, ultimately come from a reconstructed Proto-Indo-European root, S-K-E-R. And there are multiple S-K-E-R roots, but the one we're looking at means to turn or to bend. So we think about a curl, how Mm -hmm. it kind of turns around or bends around. And a really interesting list of words also are related and come from this root. So the cousins to crepe and crisp are include shrink, curve, circle, crown, corona, our favorite <laughs> word these days, just kidding, um, circus, ring. So that's interesting, isn't it? A circus ring <laughs> is kind of 
saying the same thing in two different words. Interesting. And this was actually my favorite. The most unexpected word on this list to me was search. Comes search. from the same root. So think about going around in a circle to find what you're looking for kind of idea or having a radius, a search radius, that kind of idea. So that was an interesting connection. And then crepe originally was applied to a type of fabric. So, and it's still used that way today as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I've, I've heard that used that way. Yeah, so it's a gauze-like fabric with crisped or minutely wrinkled surface. So it's kind of almost an embossed, wrinkly surface of crepe fabric has. Mm. And in the 1870s, English borrowed a French term for a dish called a galette crepe, <laughs> right? A, a wrinkled pancake or curled pancake. So if you think about how we roll up crepes, uh-huh. but galette was the original cake kind of idea but then eventually they started to just call it a crepe and english borrowed that word in the 1870s interesting so it seems like there's other words that are like that as well where english borrows the adjective instead of the noun and starts using the adjective as the noun i'm sure there are i'll have to maybe do some more research into that but it seems like i've come across a couple of words recently like that (laughs) so interesting yes so curled here's my curled i'm going to have (laughs) but it's interesting that it's related to the word circle which Mm -hmm. describes the shape of a crepe right curve um so that's interesting and i always want to search for the best crepe recipe right so (laughs) Um, And that kind of led me down a lot of interesting avenues. Um, I was thinking about different words for pancakes and different types of pancakes internationally in different countries. Because the idea of a pancake is one of the oldest kinds of culinary phenomena, actually. And pretty much every culture has some form of a pancake. And I will put a link to a really interesting article um, that was done on SeriousEats.com called Pancakes Around the World. It's really fascinating. But I love this paragraph from that article. It says, once you expand your horizons, you realize that pancakes are a tricky business and they're nigh impossible to define. I've spent weeks hurtling down the rabbit hole, musing over existential questions like, where do flatbreads end and pancakes begin? (laughs) Are cookies pancakes? What about biscuits or scones? Is everything a pancake? (laughs) These are the kinds of questions we need to ask ourselves. Well, in the OED, a pancake is defined as a thin, flat cake of batter fried on both sides in a pan. Uh, And in Britain, pancakes are made without a raising agent and similar to a crepe. Mm. But in North America, they're usually made with a raising agent and are similar to a drop scone or a scotch pancake. And then the American Heritage Dictionary says that a pancake is a thin cake made of batter that is poured onto a hot greased surface and cooked on both sides until brown. But this precludes crepes, which are traditionally only cooked on one side. And what about types of pancakes that are baked in the oven? A baked oven pancake, German Mm -hmm. pancakes, Dutch baby, there are some different... Um, types of 
pancakes that are done. So the definition is a little fuzzy, right? But some interesting English terms that are associated with pancakes, they can be called flapjacks, hotcakes, griddle cakes, and flannel cake. I thought that was interesting. Flannel. Thinking about crepe being mm-hmm. like a type kind of, of fabric. fabric. And a flannel cake. I've never heard of that myself. But And then regionally, a term could be batter cake. And Merriam-Webster says a flat cake made of thin batter and cooked as on a griddle on both sides. So, mm. But again, we're, we start to look internationally at something like a tortilla. Is that a pancake? has a lot of similarities if we go mm-hmm. by some of these definitions. It's not batter though, right? It's it's, it's a, a dough. dough. So there we have the question of we have this continuum, right? What makes something a batter versus mm-hmm. a dough? We start to run into what you would call semantic boundaries, right? Where does one meaning end and another one begin? And another area where this is really interesting and has been studied a lot is in the area of colors oh yeah so you think about the spectrum of visible light and colors of the quote-unquote rainbow right we think of them as discrete colors children can tell you what the colors are but are there really only that many colors and you think about crayons how many different colors there are Mm -hmm. the answer is no right and my daughter and I have this running joke about blue and green so we look at something that's within that realm and I will say blue or green and she'll tell me her opinion and I'll tell her (laughs) mine and often they're different and this is something that's actually There's been a huge study about the differences between blue and green and how in different languages, sometimes they differentiate between blue and green and sometimes they don't. And sometimes there are multiple words within what we would call blue or or green. So for example, Russian, there's dark blue, which is sini, and then there's boy, which is like sky blue, so a lighter color blue. Those are very distinct colors. And there are several articles that I will link in the show notes that are so fascinating about different languages and how the way your language classifies colors can affect how you think about color, how you see color, how you distinguish Totally makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so this is a huge area of research within cognitive psychology. And there are people whose specialty, they're professors of visual (laughs) discrimination or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's, It's really fascinating. So I will... Instead of going into all those details, I will put links for people who are interested in knowing (laughs) more about that. This could be an entire episode. But that whole idea of semantic boundaries is very intriguing to me. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's what I have today about my new favorite word, crepe. It makes me hungry. I'm going to (laughs) go have some after this episode. Have some crepes. (laughs) So what I want to know is if I can tell you that your hair looks crispy. (laughs) Or (laughs) crepey. Is that a positive thing? No, no, no. No, I don't don't think that would be okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'll keep that in mind. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. And how about you tell us what your new favorite word is this week? All right. My favorite word this week. In 1775, (laughs) 
the playwright Richard Brinsley Butler Sheridan. Ooh, what a great name. <laughs> wrote a play called The Rivals. And this play, he introduced to the world the memorable Mrs. Malaprop. Oh. A character who's always misusing words. <laughs> and, for example, at one point she'll say that someone is as headstrong as an allegory on the banks of the Nile. <laughs> instead of an alligator. <laughs> or in another place she says, why murders the matter? Slaughters the matter. Killings the matter. But he can tell you the perpendiculars. <laughs> instead of particulars. Yes. So her name is very appropriate, coming from the word malapropos, which means unsuitable. It comes from French. Mal a propos and... From Latin, but not appropriate. Exactly, not appropriate. Poorly appropriate. Not suited to a purpose. Mm -hmm. But Mrs. Malaprop's most enduring contribution seems to be her own name, (laughs) as when anyone misuses a word now, they are said to have committed a malapropism Mm -hmm. or a malaprop. Interestingly, Shakespeare also employed multiple characters this way as well, including (laughs) one from. Much Ado About Nothing named Dogberry. And it's been a long time since I've read Much Ado About Nothing, so I I can't speak from my own memory. But at one point, Dogberry says, Our watch, sir, have indeed comprehended two auspicious persons. (laughs) Instead of suspicious. (laughs) Exactly, instead of apprehended and suspicious. And so because, you know, Shakespeare, um, you might sometimes hear these terms of phrase referred to as dogberries or dogberryisms, hmm. but I've never heard that term. Mostly, yeah, I hadn't either. But mostly, it's malapropism. Um, I did a little search on the Google Ngram search. I don't hmm. know if you've ever played with that. No. Tried to compare dogberryism to malapropism, hmm. and it didn't even find dogberryism. Interesting. But if you search dogberry versus malapropism, there's a spike in the 1820s where dogberry <laughs> is more commonly found than malapropism. Interesting. But malapropism is far more common now. So, um, I mean, there's many, many instances of malapropisms being used intentionally to comic effect, like um, Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy mm. used them all the time. Um, other comedians also tend to lean on those, but they seem to get the most notice when public figures use them accidentally. <laughs> so some notable examples, which I thought were amusing. Former Chicago Mayor Richard Daly referred to Alcoholics Unanimous. <laughs> Uh, Former Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott at one point claimed that no one is the suppository of all wisdom. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oops. And former Texas Governor Rick Perry described states as lavatories of innovation and democracy. (laughs) We don't want to go there. (laughs) No. And Mike Tyson, after losing to Lennox Lewis, declared that he might fade into Bolivian. (laughs) So, but I mean, comedy aside, uh, philosopher Donald Davidson suggested in an essay from 1986 titled A Nice Derangement of Epitaphs, <laughs> which I think is actually a quote from Mrs. Malaprop, hmm. that malapropisms reveal something about how we process words. Hmm. Now, I'll admit to only knowing the contents of this essay secondhand. I couldn't find a copy to actually hmm. read, but I kind of want to now. But he apparently makes the point that language competence isn't merely the rote assimilation and application of vocabulary. Because if it were, then you'd memorize a word and you would use it correctly, and that would be the end of the story. So the fact that we can sometimes semantically slip sideways as we speak... Mm -hmm. uh, Sound comes into play a lot, right? right. Words that sound similar. Similar rhythm of the word, Mm. sound of the word... Yeah, there's so many things that come into play there, uh, even among those who speak the language natively and mm-hmm. fluently. If it was just something that 
you know, people learning the language stumbled on, then that might indicate something different than the fact that it's native speakers that do this. Uh, it's kind of interesting takeaway from something that would otherwise just be a simple slip of the tongue, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm curious for our listeners, what malapropisms have you heard? And uh, maybe perhaps even uttered yourself. <laughs> Let us know. We'd love to hear about it. Thank you. That's a lot of fun thinking about those. And thanks again for joining us. We hope you're safe and well. We would love any feedback you might have on anything related to our show. Have a great week and let us know what's your new favorite word.